Hello and welcome to Alameda County Library's Read On podcast. We're talking about new books, classic books, and other fun stuff you can get from your library. We hope you enjoy. Find us on the web at aclibrary.org. Welcome to Forthcoming Books. Hey everyone, this is Chris with another edition of Forthcoming Books. Today I'm talking about The Heart Goes Last by Margaret Atwood, due out September 29th. It's her first standalone novel since The Blind Assassin in 2000, which I didn't know until I read this. I was so excited about this book because I have enjoyed Margaret Atwood and because I am fascinated with futuristic dystopian novels. But as I read this book, I was a bit flummoxed. I feel like I was set up by the description of the book to expect something sinister and to expect the main characters to fight the good fight. But I was really thrown off by the tone, the plot, and the characters' behavior and attitudes. Now I think Atwood intends a dark comedy that is sometimes a bit wacky, sort of a la Carl Hyacin. The story is about Stan and Charmaine, who are trying to survive after the economic and social collapse of the eastern United States. They are living in their car and trying to avoid the violence that surrounds them when Charmaine sees a television ad that could solve all their problems. They could move into a clean, safe community called Consilience and have jobs. In exchange, they would not be allowed to leave. They are sworn to secrecy, And every other month, they have to spend time in a prison called Positron, doing various types of labor that keep the town and prison afloat. As you might expect, the company that runs the town and prison is hiding something. All the things they are trying to hide are revealed throughout the novel. No spoiler alerts from me. Sinister stuff, right? But the tone belies that, and some of the action is just wacky. Like when Stan is finally trying to expose and escape from Positron, he ends up for a time as an Elvis impersonator, partnered with a Marilyn Monroe impersonator who is sexually attracted to a stuffed bear. Plus, lots of stuff is never fully explained. For example, why do they have to spend time in a prison? The town, which is set up to resemble a town from the 1950s, I was thinking sort of of uh, Pleasantville as I was reading this, The town's already a very controlled environment. Also, we never learn much about what is going on outside in the real world to sort of show the difference between consilience and, you know, the real world outside of it that's apparently completely destroyed. And Stan and Charmaine aren't particularly likable characters. Stan reminds me of a grumpy uh, Homer Simpson, and Charmaine is simultaneously vapid and cunning. Without giving too much away, I think the main themes of the book end up being about security versus freedom, as you might expect from the plot, and also about the vagaries of romance and relationships. But these things are wrapped in such an odd package, I came away mostly not knowing what to think. So if you're a Margaret Atwood fan, I would read this book because you'll want to know what she's been working on. And if you like just really bizarre stories or dark comedy, I would check out this book. But if neither of those things are true for you, I'm afraid I can't recommend it. So we'll see you next time with more forthcoming books. 
this is Natalie. And Michael. For We Need Diverse Books. We are going to be looking at Tiny Pretty Things by two authors, Sona Chadapotra and Danielle Clayton. And the tagline to this one is, Perfection Comes at a Price. It's about a group of ballerinas at the American Ballet Conservatory, sort of their... Well, they're, they're like 16 years old, so they're... It's a school, but it's just all about ballet. Like, they're all just trying to get into the company for real is their goal. Right. There are three main characters. There's Gigi, who is this mixed-race girl from California who's used to dance being very supportive and, you know, all the girls working together to work in choreography. But, you know, when she gets to New York, that's not how it is. It's not a supportive environment. It's very cutthroat. And then we have June, who is of mixed race. Also, she's Asian. Her mother was um, a talented dancer herself who's Korean um, and comes from a very strict household. So she is not making the progress that her mother thinks she should. She is only an understudy. She's not the lead. So she might have to leave the school if she does not somehow change that status. Which would pretty much, she feels like, kill her. Right. And then there's Betty, who's really devious. She believes that it is her, not only that she's the best dancer, but that it's sort of her, like, her birthright to be the prima ballerina. So when she doesn't get roles, like, you know, Gigi gets the sugar plum fairy, it, like, makes her want to kill her. And, (laughs) (laughs) And there are, is a bit of a history of her maybe doing some shady things to take out the previous girl um, who was named Cassie, who you see in the first chapter and then not again because something horrible happened to her, which was probably Betty's doing. There's this room that people use to remove themselves from the the group at the dorm and they'll go and, you know, they can watch old tape or yell and scream and sort of have alone time for themselves. But it's also a room where sort of starts to... uh, it's kind of like a, of... a burn book, but on mm, the wall. Yeah, exactly. So people will like right. write nasty messages about yeah. other girls, kind of <laughs> psych them out, or you know, right. if they have like scandalous pictures, they'll put them on there. So it's all very cutthroat, and there's kind of the old putting glass and you know with the ballerina's shoe. There's lots of trickery going on here, but I found it a very kind of exciting read. It's very compulsively readable, not always pleasant because there are a lot of unpleasant yeah. things going on, and it definitely does have that insider feel. And one of the authors, Danielle Clayton. Actually, you know, it says in the author blurb that she worked for a year as a teacher at one of these kind of academies. So I think she knows her her stuff. Yeah, and without sort of knowing anything about ballet personally, I feel like everything they're talking about seems to be spot on. You know, if if not, they've they've sucked me in. Yeah, it's it's a page turner. It's really well written. I mean, I recommend it highly. This is Chris. I think what's great about the diverse books that we're bringing up, they're just good stories or good books and that they're using characters of multiple races, but it's really sort of incidental to the story. Mm -hmm. And isn't that, I wonder if you guys could comment on that, if that's sort of just like important new thing that people are doing. Actually, we both got to see Danielle Clayton at Mm -hmm. um, ALA. She was on a panel hosted by Marie Lu, kind of of the Legend series, and it was debut authors who all had diverse books. And one of the questions they asked them was, how do you want us to sell your books to people or talk up your books to people? And the number one thing they all said is, you know, sell the story. So don't say, oh, this is a diverse book. Like, it'll teach you empathy or, you know, mm-hmm. it'll be great. Right. It'll be great for your, you know, it'll open your mind to different cultures. Like, that's the worst way to, you know, get like a teenager 
or anybody to kind of read a book that you want to sell the story. So be like, this is, you know, this crazy story of all these cutthroat ballerinas and they're all, you know, that's what the thrust of the story is. You know, if you're a Korean girl or a mixed race girl, you're see a mirror of yourself in that way in a book. And if you're not, then yeah, you'll empathize with different people, but that's not the thrust of the story. So it's just sort of a, like an added layer. So it's not a lesson, which I think is very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this has been diverse books. We need diverse books. See you next time. Bye. My name is Dean Jones. And this is Kate Epler. And we are here with Oddball Books. We are talking today about Horror Store, uh, which is a sort of a horror novel based in a store that is exactly like Ikea, but is not called Ikea. But everything is, all the furniture has the same weird names and the store has the same sort of policy. And I'm very excited to talk about this book because I've been spending a lot of time in Ikea lately. <laughs> um, and I have thought several times about the things that happened in this book and whether they might happen to me while I'm standing in line thinking about that dollar soft serve ice cream cone. Well, this is a novel by slate writer Grady Hendrix, and it's a wonderful little comedy horror romp that while it is a novel, um, there's a lot of visual cues to it that uh, reflect the Ikea brand. If you read it, um, there's a fictional company, Orsk, when you look through the book, they have all these bits that look like they're from a catalog or from the diagrams uh, when you purchase the items and take them apart. And it's really fun because uh, the sensibility, the comic sensibilities that uh, Hendrix put in are really very funny and cute. Yeah, each chapter is introduced with like a picture of you know a piece of furniture that you would recognize as being very Ikea-esque and is going to play some role in the next chapter in terms of plot and things like that. It's really, it's funny. It's a funny horror novel, which is... I don't know how common that is, Dean. You're... It's not very common. Uh, people attempt it too, but it's it's something that people may try, but it doesn't always work. The other thing the book did, which I thought was interesting, was really plays up the sort of corporate culture of um, the Orsk store from the perspective of the workers. You know, these people sort of band together and they're a little bit like the ghosts that will later on come to haunt them. And he, you know, he sort of like plays on those issues, which is interesting. If you've ever had a job that you felt like was you know, day in, day out, and maybe you were being tortured and turned into some sort of subhuman drone, this book will probably appeal. Yeah. I mean, I've worked retail. I don't know about you, but uh -huh. I worked retail. And you get to the point where you you start maybe getting desperate and start drinking the Kool-Aid <laughs> and uh, start reciting the corporate sloganeering, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I've definitely been there. So it's kind of wry to read because I'm like, oh, yeah. you feel kind of painful. Like, yeah, I've, I've done that. Exactly. I had a job where I just had to refold shirts all the time. I, I'm not a great folder. So if zombies had started to come out of the walls at that point, I would have been like, yes, here's a shirt. Perhaps you would like to try to fold this for me. Well, the, the protagonist, Amy, is living with her mother, I think, at the time, or or as a roommate, and about to live with her mother. Mm -hmm. and, you know, you're trying to live off of a, of a salary of a, of a wage slave, and you really, after a while, you're like, wow, this is too painful. It's too close to home for me at times. The book is a quick read, so you can fit it into your wage slave schedule. That's right. And I swear, if you are... If you think you might even go to Ikea within the next year, definitely pick it up because it will change your experience. Yeah. Maybe re make you rethink if you want to get those meatballs or not. Exactly. You're never going to look at those meatballs the same. <laughs> All right. So check it out. Alameda County Library Horror Store. Enjoy.